Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO. Online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters this week. I am your host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, coming to you remotely from Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, reminder from that advertisement you heard right before the show, uh, you can still make your pledges as far as helping support uh, KFUO AM radio. Uh, and of course, that includes all the international work through the internet, as well as most of you will probably be hearing it that way, this show. So... All right, we are blessed to have this show in that uh, we get to read the Book of Concord and hear what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess. I have a couple guests with me today. Uh, first is Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer, who is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Brian, good to have you with us. Ah, uh, it's great to be here. Wonderful. All right, and the second guest is Pastor Mike Grevy, uh, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Golden, Illinois. Mike is a repeat guest, so thank you, Mike. Pastor here, great to be with you and uh, Pastor Ketzelmeyer today. Absolutely. So, Concord Matters is a show where we just read through the Book of Concord, talk about it conversationally so that everyone can start understanding what it is Lutherans believe and teach and confess uh, before the world all around us and amongst ourselves as well. Uh, it is a call-in show, so you feel free to call in uh, locally there to the St. Louis area. You can call 314-821-0850. And uh, otherwise, if you're outside of that area, 800-730-2727, and we will try to address your questions over the air today. Well, we do start a new section in the Book of Concord today, or at least in this version of the Book of Concord, it's a new section. Uh, we use the Concordia Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, available from uh, Concordia Publishing House. Uh, usually you can pick it up for around 30 bucks or so, so great thing. If you don't have one in your home, get one. Uh, it's a good thing to know why we are Lutheran and what we Lutherans believe. So we start out with Article 5, and then it's uh, parentheses 3. So this is just kind of a little bit of confusion, but we'll, we'll catch us back up there. It's the title of Love and the Fulfilling of the Law. Now the numbering's a little different because some versions of the Apology just kind of attach this on to Article 4. Um, that... Uh, here we have the continuation of the discussion of justification. In particular, uh, what we have, uh, you know, with regards to now, what does the law look like after you're justified, and so forth. So here we have this, and uh, we'll be going through it. So let's get started with that, and we'll start with paragraph 1. Otherwise, if you're looking at a different one, it's usually paragraph 122. So we'll start at paragraph 1. On this topic, the adversaries quote against us. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, Matthew 19:17. Likewise, it is the doers of the law who will be justified, Romans 2:13, and many other things about the law and works. Before we reply to this, we must first declare what we believe about love and the fulfilling of the law. All right, so we'll read paragraph 2 along with it because they do introduce that. 
I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Jeremiah 31, 33. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Romans 3, 31. If you would enter into life, keep the commandments. Matthew 19, 17. But if I have not love, I gain nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. All right, so just a little bit of introduction here. Again, if you haven't been listening, uh, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession is the Lutheran response to the Roman Catholic response to the Augsburg Confession. So that's what they're referring to here, is that the adversaries quote this against us. So this is their effort to go against the Augsburg Confession. Now, specifically here, they're going to talk about Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession, which is, of course, justification by faith in Christ Jesus alone. But then also this whole section will then reference also Article 6 uh, of the Augsburg Confession, the new obedience, that is, uh, the fruit of faith, that faith is bound to bring forth good fruit, necessary to do good works commanded by God uh, because of God's will. So we will be covering some of that as we go through this as well. So, introductory comments. Uh, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, would you would you just kind of talk a little bit about here? Notice, I mean, even the Roman Catholics are trying to use Scripture against this uh, justification by faith. Well, I think that we have to understand that the Roman Catholics are, are claiming that we as Lutherans do not teach good works. And so before we even address this whole topic of good works, these are the adversaries, these are the opponents, we want to be clear that we definitely do teach good works. Not only do we teach good works, but we also require good works. Uh, that we, and, and more than that, we show how people can actually do good works, all because Christ is the mediator. He gives to us the, the remission of sins and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting to, to note here that we're going to first say, before we even talk about good works, we need to clarify that we do teach good works. <laughs> we're not right. against good works at all. <laughs> exactly. That uh, Well, that's the accusation, is that, I mean, you even see that today. Uh, Lutherans, you're all about grace, and, and you don't ever really, you know, ever clamp down on people about works. Uh, you hear that, uh, maybe not necessarily from the Roman Catholics so much anymore, but you maybe hear that from the other spect- side of the spectrum, uh, of like the the solidly reformed churches and so forth, who view kind of the Lutherans as kind of greasy or cheap grace or something like that. So exactly, and here where it says what we believe about love and the fulfilling of the law, I mean we agree with, with the Roman Catholics, and later on you'll have Melanchthon address this issue that yes, it is true that love is the fulfilling of the law. Yes, it is true that obedience to the law is righteousness, but. The issue at hand is that law cannot justify. So that's going to be the issue. But we want to make it clear that love is the fulfilling of the law. This is what Scripture says, that the the law of God is good. This is what the Scripture says. Exactly. Pastor Grevy, do you have some other comments you'd like to add to this, just this introductory part, use of Scripture to support this? Uh, I think uh, Pastor Katzmeyer has touched on it uh, wonderfully. There's a, um, you know, we have... Um, to we have to defend the law in a sense there, uh, as Pastor Kelchmeyer was touching on. The law is good. Uh, there's never a time when the law is bad, and we do need to uphold that, as um, as Paul says in one of those passages there in Romans three. Um, faith is upheld. Uh, we uphold the law through faith. Uh, we don't overthrow it. Um, so that's that we it, it, the law is kept 
Right. So they're they're countering this accusation that we are, uh, in fact, antinomians, um, yeah. that we don't have a use for the law. But this, of course, will be very clearly made um, in this part of the Confessions, especially about the role of the law in the Christian's life and uh, the use of the law in the Christian's life. So let's move on to paragraph 3. These and similar sentences testify that we are to keep the law when we have been justified by faith, and so grow in fulfilling the law more and more by the Spirit. Furthermore, we are not talking about ceremonies, but about the law that addresses the movements of the heart, namely the Ten Commandments. All right, so we've got two big things here uh, that I want to address. Uh, let's take the second one first, and that is uh, the law here addresses the movements of the hearts, not talking about ceremonies. So, uh, Pastor Grevy, can you talk about this? I mean, the Lutherans always do this. We do this in Augsburg 6, where we make sure that we're referencing that, that good works are have to do with commandments, not with man-made ceremonies, not with, you know, monastic orders and things like that. Can you make that more clear to our hearers? Absolutely. The Decalogue uh, is the clear revelation of God, as contained in the Ten Commandments. And so good works, first and foremost, must be measured by these. Uh, they are, we are beholden to the commandments of God. Uh, and that, that uh, begins in the heart, as it says here, addresses the movements of the heart. Uh, there's another place in the in the confessions in which it is talked about how Jesus interprets the law spiritually. He goes straight to the heart um, it, from you know when it quotes there uses cites Matthew five as an example about um, you know uh, indeed uh, the law and the prophets have not been abolished, certainly not uh, they're upheld. And uh, so the Ten Commandments give us uh, the, clear, the law in its utmost clarity. And uh, that, um, that judgment then does go straight to the heart, which, of course, um, according to original sin, of course, the heart is the seat of sin. It is not the seat of faith. It is the seat of hatred of God. Uh, and hatred of neighbor also. So the Ten Commandments come upon the heart and uh, expose it very quickly and reveal uh, the disposition of the heart, which is, uh, which is entirely wrong according to uh, the original sin of, of Adam, in which we have all uh, fallen uh, by the inheritance of the original guilt. Exactly, and we'll see about this in just a second when they'll, they'll compare the tables of the law, but also then the outward versus the inward keeping of the law and so forth. Um, so let's go back to the first part of this paragraph. Uh, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, um, keep the law and grow in fulfilling the law more and more by the Spirit. Sometimes folks maybe call this uh, progressive or something like that. What, how, how are we going to describe this to people? I mean, we're, we're not going to be antinomians here, but we're also not going to be Calvinists either. So can we explain some of this? Yeah, the understanding of growing and increasing, the language of more and more, of course, this is the language of St. Paul in his letter to the first uh, Thessalonians, uh, where Paul's talking about how we are growing, we are beginning, we are starting. 
that the Holy Spirit is working in us to give us these new movements, these new impulses, new thoughts, new desires, new words, new actions. And we're starting to do this. We're beginning to do this. So that the keeping of this is something that we begin, but we are growing in our ability to do this by the Holy Spirit, of course. Uh, that we are increasing. Uh, the language of increasing and growing is the language of desire, that uh, it's the language of maturity, that we're maturing in, in the faith, that we are children, and as children of God, we are growing. We are growing into the image of Christ. So as Christ has loved us, we are beginning to love like Christ loved us. Uh, as God is merciful towards us, we are beginning to be merciful like God but we are growing into that image of Jesus, uh, the incarnate love, the incarnate word, the, the one who is sent for us, the one who loves us first, and then we begin to love others. So the Christ, of course, primarily is a gift, but he's also an example that we are to emulate. Uh, that the Holy Spirit is, is working in us, molding us, shaping us into the image of the Son of God. And this is the language of more and more. Uh, likewise, later on, we'll talk about how a faith itself is to increase. A faith is to grow. Uh, the opposite of growing and increasing, of course, is diminishing, is going the wrong direction. I mean, the opposite would be to increase in wicked works, <laughs> to, right. to increase in iniquity, which is exactly the opposite direction. That's not going <laughs> in the right way. Exactly. So, so on the other side of this, however, we would guard against uh, any kind of idea of Christian perfectionism, though, correct? We, we would not take line with the Methodists and the Wesleyans on this and, and say that, well, yes, more and more until you finally reach completion and you are indeed perfect, correct? Yeah, and so in this side of heaven, uh, we will continue to grow and we will strive and we will be strengthened, but we can never fully satisfy the law. So we'll always need a mediator which is Christ the High Priest. We will always be in the need of forgiveness of sins because we will always come up short. We will always fail. We will still sin because in this body that we have now, that's still part of this corrupted creation, uh, sin clings to us. Uh, sin is constantly something that we're struggling and battling against. So it's not this uh, Wesleyan perfectionism that if you, you do X, Y, and Z and you follow this method, uh, this man-made way of holiness, that then you be can become perfect and you can cease from sinning. So it's not growing that you stop sinning. <laughs> it's that mm. you're in a battle against the temptation and the sin, that it's a spiritual battle that's going on, that the devil is always trying to deceive us, always trying to mislead us, always trying to tempt us to fall into sin. And so in this life, we will never fully satisfy the law. And this is how Melanchthon will argue, that uh, that that beginning, that starting of the keeping and fulfilling of the law, the beginning of love for the neighbor, in and of itself, does not make us righteous before God. It does not satisfy the demands of the law, that we will always be in need of the mediator, which is Christ the high priest, and of course the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, who is renewing us, who is restoring us. Exactly. And that's a great, great thing to counter against any idea of perfectionism. Now, how does this work in the Christian's life? I mean, you know, you hear sometimes a slang of like uh, fruit checking, you know, the idea that, oh, well, then, you know, if you're growing and growing, do, do you seek and find some kind of comfort from this 
growth in 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 works, growth in love, uh, growth in faith. Is, is that meant to be comforting, consoling, anything like that? Well, the promises of God are always what is to be comforting and consoling, so that our eyes are always to be on our Savior, that, that He's the one who gives peace to our conscience. Uh, and the issue that Melanchthon will have with the Roman Catholics about this idea that you can make satisfaction for your sins by doing the appropriate uh, penance, by doing the work that now is going to uh, reverse what you have undone, that Melanchthon will say, you'll never know if you've ever completed it. How will you know when you've done enough? And so the, the comfort and the, the, the consolation is not to be done in our works, because you'll never know, have I done enough? Did I do it right? Did I, could I have done it better? And when you're focusing there on yourself, you're not focusing on the person and work of Christ. And so this is always the issue here. Is it, is it me and my works, or is it Christ and his works? Are we to give honor and glory to Christ in his office, or do we steal glory away from Christ and boast in our own uh, works and take pride in our own actions? And that's always the temptation of the devil. Uh, when we fall into that, we become blinded, we become deceived, and we think we don't need Jesus anymore, and we think that uh, we don't need the forgiveness of sins anymore, and then we can actually get to this point where we have a merited more than we need, and you can even get to the point where you can give extra credit brownie points to others. <laughs> hmm, exactly. All right, so paragraph four moves on with this idea. Faith brings the Holy Spirit and produces a new life in hearts. It must also produce spiritual movements in hearts. The prophet Jeremiah shows what these movements are when he says, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Therefore, when we have been justified by faith and regenerated, we begin to fear and love God, to pray to him, to expect aid from him, to give thanks and praise him, and to obey him in times of suffering. We also begin to love our neighbors, because our hearts have spiritual and holy movements. All right, Pastor Grevy, so, so here is the proper order. You know, faith in the Holy Spirit then will produce new life. Or later on, as it talks about, you know, as we've been justified by faith and regenerated, which of course is the Holy Spirit's work, we begin to fear and love God, so first table, and then we also begin to love our neighbors, second table. So can you explain this more more as this process goes? I mean, we're talking here about new life. What What is new life for the Christian? New life is uh, the new creature or the new man uh, that the Holy Scripture speaks of. Uh, it is the the new heart uh, that the prophet Jeremiah says. It's it's a really a heart of flesh, uh, as it, as Ezekiel also prophesies about it. Um, so the law that we have then uh, through the new heart um, does, of course, then take on a different look to us, uh, having been justified by faith and regenerated. Uh, the law does uh, then begin to be seen differently by us. We begin to fear and love God, as it says, to pray to him, to expect aid from him, to give thanks and praise him. And then uh, that last part there where it talks about to obey him in times of suffering, uh, one of the places that this reminds us of is, is uh, Hebrews, where it speaks of the Son uh, who learned obedience through the things he suffered. And uh, likewise, 
uh, we also do. Um, obedience is a learned, <laughs> it's a learned thing. We don't, it does not come naturally to us. And it is only learned uh, through and by the power of the Holy Spirit and faith. And once justified, uh, then we begin to do these things. And then we can begin to increase, uh, as Patrick Atchermeyer said, and grow more and more and make uh, progress, not reach perfection, but make progress uh, in sanctification, in the love of God and the love of neighbor under the second table of the law. Right, and we can never forget the Holy Spirit's role in this, that this is uh, the Holy Spirit working in us, through us, and so forth. Um, yeah, and, and, and just the importance of that, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit again. Um, you, you mentioned that very good about, you know, now we, we start start to do these things, begin to these things. Um, what about this, Pastor Grieby? What the, what the spiritual movements? I mean, that's that's kind of foreign language. We don't hear that a lot anymore, uh, at least not within Lutheran circles. Maybe we hear it in kind of more Pentecostal type of circles. But what are they what are they meaning here? Spiritual movements in hearts. Right. Well, this would be yeah. You, you, we've probably all of us heard uh, the the claim. Um, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Well, when this is speaking, and usually what that means uh, is it's trying to create uh, a dichotomy between the one true Christian religion and what it means to be a spiritual person. It's usually trying to create a dichotomy there. But the spiritual movements which are spoken of here are those movements that are themselves created by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates these movements in hearts himself as the third person of the Trinity, the one who creates faith, also uh, uh, makes that faith grow more and more, keeps us in the one true Christian faith, and uh, thereby we grow. But the spiritual movements are also to be credited uh, to the Holy Spirit and uh, are to the glory and honor of God alone. They are not... uh, in no way should they be credited to us, or are they credited to us, as something that we create or make up ourselves as we go along. These spiritual movements are themselves given to us by the Holy Spirit. Excellent. That's why they would quote Jeremiah there. Um, so you've seen here some of what we're talking about. Now we're going to, because one of the main things of distinction here is, of course, the, the Lutherans are emphasizing that these good works come after faith after justification, uh, whereas, of course, in the Roman Catholic system of theology, uh, the works are always before it. And in, in all honesty, you can never get to the point where you're fully understood whether or not you are truly justified or not, because you never know whether or not you've had enough works. And, of course, Pastor Ketchelmeyer mentioned that earlier when we talked about this perfectionism. If you're going to judge by works, then you'll always be kind of left in doubt. And so here Lutherans affirm both justification by faith and then they also affirm this uh, maturing in the faith, that is, the, the growth and the more and more of, of good works and so forth. So let's read paragraphs 5 through 8 here. Uh, These things cannot happen until we have been justified through faith and regenerated. We receive the Holy Spirit. First, because the law cannot be kept without Christ. Likewise, the law cannot be kept without the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is received through faith, as Paul declares in Galatians 3.14 that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. 
Also remember, how can the human heart love God while it knows that he is terribly angry and is oppressing us with earthly and endless distress? The law always accuses us. It always shows that God is angry. God is not loved until we receive mercy through faith. Not until then does he become someone we can love. All right, so we're just going to get started into this before we have to take a break. But um, so here we again, the distinction between Roman Catholics and, and, and Lutherans is very plain. Lutherans do not uh, speak against good works. We put them in their proper perspective. That is, those things which flow out from being justified by faith in Christ. And so this is stuff of once the Holy Spirit has, has, has entered you, that is through faith, uh, now you can actually do the good that God in his commandments has given you to do more and more. Um, always going along and trusting, of course, uh, the word of God in that respect. So we are looking here at a break, I believe, coming up. So uh, we will be back after that break. You're listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Kelly Schumacher, artist and founder of Onyus Dei Liturgical Arts, offers group and private lessons in classical art education that focus on old master's oil painting techniques and drawing that glorify God and are based on the fundamental principles of art and art history. Youth and adult lessons are available. OnUsDeiArts.com That's A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com this week on His Time's Daily Lectionary Study, we move from Luke chapter 4 through Luke chapter 6, going back to pick up the temptation of Jesus, his rejection at Nazareth, his battle with an unclean spirit whom he casts out, his healing of many, the calling of the disciples, and more at 8 a.m. every morning here on Worldwide KFUO. And tune in the hour before, starting at dawn, not quite, but 7 a.m. for your oratio, your prayer, your daily devotions, your morning drive for the soul here on KFUO. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Dear John, I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is serious, and I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to when you checked on me? I don't want to leave. But remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get yours to a healthy range today. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. In the sounds of a busy retail store, repeated in 700 stores across the U.S., is the story of its founder, David Green. A story rooted in the Bible in his life motto from Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. In his book, Giving It All Away and Getting It Back Again, he writes, I believe God has placed us on this earth to work to devote ourselves to a radical brand of generosity that changes lives. 
And in a childhood shaped by a deep, unshakable faith in God is a legacy that David and Barbara Green are passing along to their children and grandchildren. In an insight from Psalm 78, 5 and 6, David says that one generation will tell the next, and they in turn will tell the next. It was always to be an ongoing story. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFUAM Radio, the messenger of the good news. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, coming to you from Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, my guests today are Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer and Pastor Mike Grevy, uh, both Missouri City pastors, and both have been doing a great job of confessing our Lutheran faith as we go through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 5, as it's found in the Concordia Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord. Uh, we are a call-in show, so feel free to call in with your questions and answers and so for our questions and concerns. Uh, St. Louis area, 314-821-0850. And in North America, the toll-free number is 1-800-730-2727. All right, when we left off for the break, we just finished kind of introducing these paragraphs, paragraphs 5 through 8, uh, or otherwise in the other numbering system, it's 126 through 129. Um, in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession here, Article 5, or in the other versions, it would be Article 4 still. All right, so we talked about these things, these movements, these progress, this more and more, this good to works, this so forth, cannot happen until we've been justified through faith and regenerated. We receive the Holy Spirit who regenerates us. First, because the law cannot be kept without Christ. Likewise, the law cannot be kept without the Holy Spirit. All right, Pastor Grevy, this is a great reminder of something we learn in Scripture, that is, uh, who Christ is in relation to the law. If you want to speak a little bit about that. Christ, all, right. all we have is an angry God. Uh, so we cannot uh, please God if he's angry. It's impossible to love an angry God. Um, with Christ, uh, through faith in Christ, uh, we have the essence of what the Scripture tells us that God is love, uh, and that uh, he has loved us in the manner of sending his Son forth to be the atonement for sin, to give his body to shed his blood for the sin of the world. So this, uh, this reminds me of another place uh, in our confessions. It's in the formula of Concord, where it makes this wonderful distinction uh, between uh, being under the law and what it refers to as uh, being in the law. We... The, the new man, it speaks of this in regards to the new man under the third use of the law section. Uh, under the law is a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses uh, in the epistles to, to refer to being under the condemning finger of the law. Um, so if you're under the condemning finger of the law, uh, you're not under grace. Uh, however, if you are under grace, then as you are... Uh, walking in in the law. And what does it mean to walk in the law? Well, it means to, to keep the law, and the law is kept both with Christ and with the Holy Spirit. Those are the only ways the law can begin, begin to be kept. And so to, 
to walk in the law uh, is another way of looking at being under grace, because it is only by being under grace uh, that we can walk in the law. And all of this is through Christ. Um, so that's, uh, that's, a, that's a most important thing to remember uh, for us regarding the law, and, uh, and an important distinction there between uh, being under the law as opposed to being in it. That's, uh, that sounds much like the Psalms, uh, which talk about this, being in the law, walking in the ways of, of God and so yes. forth. Yeah, um, exactly. That, that the Psalms speak of that way much uh, and many times. Um, so, so, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, this you know, law cannot be kept without Christ, but then, of course, law cannot be kept without the Holy Spirit. So, so the triune God is involved with the Christian's life, then, every day. Yeah, as soon as you talk about the triune God, of course, this recalls to memory our baptism, that we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is precisely what's happening throughout scriptures, that this is, this is God's work. This is God's work to bring creation. It's God's work to bring recreation. Uh, apart from God, we are dead in our sin, but the Word of God comes to give life. And so you, you say, we're, we're to keep the law, but we cannot keep the law without Christ. We, we cannot keep the law without the Holy Spirit. Uh, and this, of course, is going back to that Jeremiah passage, that God is going to write his law. And, of course, that's the Torah, God's instruction. He's going to write it on the hearts. And that, of course, is tied to Psalm 40, that in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear to hear to do, or as in the, the letter to the Hebrews says, a body, then burnt offerings, sin offerings you have not required. But it's Christ who says, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book that is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your Torah is within my heart. So that the second Adam, this is the incarnate one, he's the one who comes and he alone can satisfy the law. And he alone uh, then takes the punishment for our sin. And so without that mediator, uh, we can't uh, begin to keep the law at all. So without Christ, we can't do it at all. And likewise, it's connected to the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So as mediator, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He pours out his Holy Spirit upon us. So that as the ascended Lord, not only do we receive the gift of the remission of sins, but also the renewal of the Holy Spirit which is likewise tied to Ezekiel chapter 36, that he's going to sprinkle clean water on us. He's going to cleanse us. Uh, this is that baptismal language, giving to us a new heart and putting his spirit within us to cause us to walk in his statutes and be careful to do his rules, so that we're beginning to do these things. So without the incarnate one, Christ, without the ascended one, uh, we don't have the Holy Spirit that is poured out upon us who begins to give to us a, a heart that is being renewed and restored with new movements in this new creation. Excellent. Well put. And that, of course, summarized up also in the fourth part of the small catechism on baptism, about the daily uh, dying to sin and living again to newness of life, uh, Romans chapter 6 kind of stuff. Um, that, that we see there in the small catechism. So we get into paragraphs 6 and 7 and so forth. The Holy Spirit is received through faith, as Paul declares, and he cites it very plainly, we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Um, but then also it goes into a little bit here of, also remember how can the human heart love God while well, it knows that he is terribly angry and is oppressing us with earthly and endless distress. 
The law always accuses us. It always shows that God is angry. Now, that law always accuses us, so we're going to get to, I'm going to ask Pastor Ketchemeyer about that in just a second, but Pastor Grevy, I want you, you kind of touched on this a little bit ago, about the idea that, you know, how can the human heart love God while it knows that he's terribly angry and oppressing us with earthly and dis- endless distress? This, I mean, you run into this all the time as a pastor, and I know we, I know our members run into this all the time when they're in their communities. And 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 what are people's biggest beefs with God? Their biggest anger at God is usually some kind of terrible suffering that's befallen them or a loved one of theirs. Um, this is, I mean, what proof that I mean we're dealing with an unbelieving world, correct, Pastor Gravy? To be sure, yes. Um, the uh, the thing that we need to remember about that, I think, with the law, is that it does always accuse. It does not always do that, or only do that. It always accuses. It doesn't only do that. But um, this is why it does show us that God is angry, because he is angry at sin. It is that simple. Uh, sin kindles his anger. It, it kindles his wrath. Uh, and so... Uh, the law does these things. And it is true to say that the law hurts our feelings. Uh, we, you know, it kind of, maybe that seems obvious to some, but it needs to be said. The law, the law is going to hurt our feelings because our feelings are, are not in the right place. And so it hurts, the law hurts the flesh, but the law is still good always. And the law was given in mercy by God. We do need to remember that as well. The law is not the bad guy here. I think sometimes that is a danger that we can run into fairly easily if we're not careful uh, in the law-gospel distinction. Uh, the, the, The gospel is not the answer to the law. The gospel is the answer to sin against the law. But the law is still good uh, in and of itself. There's no problem with the law whatsoever. And I have seen that uh, oversimplification that the law is bad. Uh, And, of course, it's God's law, so how can it be bad? Uh, Nothing of God is bad. So, so yeah, that's a great corrective. Now, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, I brought this up a little earlier the law always accuses us. Now, Pastor Grevy mentioned, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's not only accuses us, but even more so. Let's look at this. Uh, first of all, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, who is this talking about? I mean, when, when what's the context here as far as, is he talking about believers or unbelievers when he says this? Well, the issue is that uh, the law itself cannot justify. So we're talking about the law. So the law cannot justify. And when we say justify, we mean pardon from sin. The only thing that the law can do is it can point out sin. And when it points out sin, uh, the failure to complete and to satisfy what the law is required, well, then the only thing it can do is it condemns. That's all that the law can do. It cannot pardon. It cannot justify. And so that, that's this function of the law here. So that law, if all you have is the law without Christ, because, again, keeping of the law you can't do without Christ, if you have the law without the Holy Spirit, uh, you are left without faith. Uh, In order to have faith, you have to have the Holy Spirit. In order to have the Holy Spirit, you have to have Christ. In order to have a justification uh, in the forgiveness of sins, uh, you have to have the incarnation. And so without all these things, you're left with just you and the law, and this law is always going to accuse you, and it's always going to show you that God is angry. But it's the gospel that shows you that God is love. Uh, 
that God is the one who does what the law cannot do. And so this is why Melanchthon will say, therefore, uh, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So yes, the law always condemns, but for those who are in Christ, the law cannot condemn. There is no condemnation. Why? Because God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Again, that law could not justify, cannot pardon sin. And how does he do this? Well, Paul says in Romans 8, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, not who walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And Melanchthon will further expound on this later on in what it means to, to love and to fulfill the law and the need for a mediator and the need for the Holy Spirit that Christ is our atoning sacrifice. So yes, it, it is true that the law condemns all people, but Christ is the one who had no sin, yet he bore the punishment for all of our sins. It's by his, by his uh, wounds we are healed, that he bears our iniquities, he removes our sin. And when he removes our sin, he removes the right of the law to condemn that he removes the right of the law to accuse those who believe in him. See, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so for his sake, uh, now we are counted righteous, and therefore since we're counted righteous, the law cannot accuse or condemn us who have faith in the Savior. But apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot have faith. Apart from faith, we cannot have life. Apart from Christ, we cannot have the forgiveness of sins. So it goes back to this whole understanding that we're, we're teaching people how to keep the law. Uh, it can only be kept because of Jesus, because of his person and work, because of his pouring out the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's person and work. And, of course, that regeneration, the faith that we now have in Christ, is we are beginning to, we're starting to uh, live this new life. Yeah, so we've seen, we see the old distinctions here, uh, maybe as you learned it in confirmation classes of of the curb, the mirror, and the guide, and so forth. And when you're talking about law always accuses here, you're talking mirror. And uh, and then, of course, when we've been talking about, you know, what happens after a person is a uh, believer and has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, has Christ and the Spirit, uh, that then all of a sudden the law takes on this uh, usefulness as a guide, showing us what true, good, and godly works really are, and and what God would really have us to do. Not ceremonies and things like that, but uh, to truly fear, love, and trust in God above all things, to use his name rightly, to, to uh, hear his word and, and be a part of worship correctly, and so forth, and then all the second table along with it. And so you'll see this. And then lastly, in, in paragraph 8, you see, you know, God is not loved until we receive mercy through faith. And Pastor Grevy, I think you mentioned this again, that all of this comes to us through mercy. Um, I think referencing something said last half hour was, you know, that, that we don't merit any of it. Uh, that indeed it comes through mercy, through faith. And then, of course, not until then does he become someone we can love. And so, of course, uh, we love because Christ first loved us. Always a message in Scripture uh, for us to confess before the world. So let's do paragraphs 9 and 10 here. Civil works, i.e., the outward works of the law, can be done in some measure without Christ and without the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, from what we have said, it seems that, there, that what belongs only to the divine law, i.e., the heart's affections toward God, 
which are commanded in the first table, cannot be done without the Holy Spirit. But our adversaries are fine theologians. They focus on the second table and political works. They don't care about the first table. They act as though the first table were of no matter. They certainly require only outward fulfillment of the law. They in no way consider the law that is eternal and placed far above the sense and intellect of all creatures. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. All right. That verse also cited by Jesus numerous times in the Gospels. Pastor Grevy, can you explain a little bit more about this distinction we're making here about civil works, um, outward works of the law? What, what, what kind of distinction is the confession making here? Well, they're making the distinction, um, the, the civil works, um, to be the works that are simply done, the actions. In other words, um, I can do some good things for the guy next door. I can do some good things for my neighbor, and uh, that has to be of some merit then in God's eyes. Uh, but the problem is that the good that we would do to our neighbor under the second table of the law, namely commandments 4 through 10, uh, really cannot and does not occur without uh, the first table first, namely the heart's affections toward God. What are they? Um, are you having other gods? Are you rightly using God's name? Are you gladly hearing, preaching in his word and, and learning his word? Uh, those things, first and foremost, as contained in the first table, um, are necessary uh, and they can't be done, they cannot be done without the Holy Spirit either. So just like we cannot, uh, the law cannot be kept without Christ, the law cannot be kept without the Holy Spirit, with Christ and with the Holy Spirit, uh, we do uh, begin to keep the first table. And uh, we do begin, of course, then to love God. Uh, that's the ordering of things. It's not it is not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, that is, the mercy seat for sin. Uh, we must first receive love uh, before we can love. And that uh, must first come from God, uh, so that this love toward him is created in us by the Holy Spirit. And then uh, the second table, uh, the second table follows that, where we then do... Uh, the works that are beneficial for our neighbor, works that are done uh, not for their own sake, but works that are done for the sake of the neighbor and done out of a heart that has faith in Christ. And Excellent. that's the eternal, that's when it gets to talking about, you know, the law uh, ha is eternal, um, that's, that's what it's getting toward, that there is an eternal nature of the law here, and it begins with uh, what's in the heart and what what is driving the heart okay so so this is why like non-christians can still have you know faithful marriages and things like that how they can have apparently you know decent looking family situations where moms and dads are respected and so forth you know how they can uh, lead kind of an upright life as far as you know trying to tell the truth and, and you know not stealing stuff as far as you know being caught and, and tried and so forth as, as robbers and so forth so this is what it's talking about when it talks about right. this some measure 
but of course, you know, as we know from from Jesus's example, when he expl- expounds upon uh, the sixth commandment uh, and the fifth commandment uh, with regards to lost in his relationship to adultery, and then also with hatred in his relationship to murder. Um, he's, of course, showing the spirit of the law, as you, as you mentioned earlier, the, the idea that you know, the law is much deeper than this. And, of course, then that brings in uh, that first table of the law. Um, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, it seems to me here that they're trying to stress something about the Roman Catholics, that the Roman Catholics are really trying to play the second table off against the first, as far as, you know, importance and so forth. And I think this only seems natural, doesn't it? I mean, the Pharisees kind of do this. They don't They don't really worry about their faith and fear and love and so forth towards God. They don't really worry about how they're treating his word um, or his name or how their prayers are. They're, they're more concerned, of course, about, you know, the outward uh, and so forth. And so... Um, is this a common problem? I mean, do we still are we still seeing this today? I mean, I I think we are, but what about you? Well, I think we do because it's something that is uh, most uh, readily seen. You know, how how do you express love for God? Is you express love for God by love for neighbor? So then you're focusing now on love for neighbor and the outward things of what you're doing. And so th- this is uh, Melanchthon saying they're fine theologians, you know. <laughs> great theologians here on the second table, but they forgot something. I mean, so it's a little ironic that they forgot the first table that, of course, has to deal with the heart, which has to deal with the inner motives, the inner movements, uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing. So it's not just an external thing, an external activity, but it's this internal, inside your, your own being, your own heart, your own mind, that you truly fear love and trust in God above all things. And that's why Luther, when he takes us to the first commandment, and he takes us right there, you know, we shall have no other gods. Well, what does this mean? Well, this is about fearing. This is about loving. This is about trusting in God above all things, that that's where this whole issue is at stake. It's what's in the inside. Uh, even the Roman Catholic theologians themselves will have this idea that uh, that sin is something that begins on the inside, and you contemplate it, you think it, but it doesn't really become sin until it goes on the outside, and you act upon it. So it's this idea of these inner thoughts and emotions and feelings and passions. Well, that's really sort of kind of not sin, according to these fine theologians, you know, in this ironic uh, mode here. Uh, But what Melanchthon is getting at is even these thoughts, the lust of the the heart, the hatred of the brother in the heart, uh, in the mind itself, that is sin before God. And so so it's not that it—wait until it goes external and you can visibly see the manifestation of it, but it's still sin. And so if they're seeing that external thing is the only thing that's sin, well, then it makes sense that they're only looking at that external thing as a virtue. And that's why previously, when he were talking about what true good works are, you had such things as begin to fear and love God, to pray to him, and to obey him in times of suffering. So that this is one of the the premier good works that Melanchthon keeps putting forth before everybody, is that we are patient and endure in suffering. And so that's not really a good work that people commonly think of. They're only thinking of these as these outward things that you can see with your eyes. So this kind of goes back to the Lutheran versus Roman Catholic difference on original sin and concupiscence about, uh, you know, whether or not the intentions of the heart are sinful or whether it actually takes actions to become sinful. And Lutherans would, inform, uh, would, would say that, of course, the, 
the in, inner things are also sin themselves. The desires themselves are sin. And that uh, this is a great distinction between Lutherans and Roman Catholics that is held. And of course, then it of course makes sense when we get to justification and then we get to good works that this is going to continue to make a distinction between these two. Uh, I know as a pastor, I deal with this one a lot when it comes to communion. Because false doctrine, um, Dr. Martin Chemnitz, uh, one of the authors of the Book of Concord, wrote this. He talks about false doctrine is a breaking of the second commandment. It's believing uh, something different about God's name than what he says. And uh, that that is so downplayed in our society today that differences in doctrine really don't matter. And, of course, that comes true when people want to have communion and you have closed communion and you're trying to talk about how, no, we have to agree in doctrine and you're believing false doctrine. And because of that violation of the second commandment, you cannot have communion here. And uh, so you you see that, but of course people are more concerned about you know well are their marriages okay are their are their families doing okay and so forth. So you have been hearing this all this hour uh, on on Concord matters about this good works the love uh, of God coming to us and how that bears fruit in our lives uh, and the love and the fulfilling of the law and how. Christ has done it, how the Spirit works in us so that we can walk in the law, not under the law's condemnation, but but gladly beginning to fulfill the law, but gladly beginning to do it more and more as we go through. So, of course, uh, the blessing here is that, uh, you know, this is all stemming from Christ's victorious and uh, work at the cross and his resurrection and his ascension and sending us the Spirit. And so these are great things that are born out of the gospel. Uh, that from the forgiveness of sins and from our justification comes all this great good works and so forth. Uh, you've been listening to Concord Matters. I want to thank both Pastor Ketchemeyer and Pastor Grevy today for being my guests. Uh, thank you from me for listening in, and uh, we will catch you next week on Concord Matters. <laughs>